This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Honey Hub podcast today. We have Mark from Exo Mountain Gear on the podcast to help us just understand the value of a good pack and uh, just trying to alleviate some of that back pain while you're uh, out hunting to uh, um, how to manage that, how to have the right fit for that so you can not be dying in the woods or at least uh, um, you can manage that and get out and still uh, try try and pack something out. But I've got some back pain, and that's what kind of inspired this episode. I want to just ask Mark just a little bit about um, do his packs help, which they do. Um, and is there something there that we should be doing to avoid some of that that uh, packing out? Or what parts of it should we be avoiding just to um, see if we can keep our backs in, in good working order? And come to find out that pack is something that can really help out with creating some support while you're hiking around the woods. So a couple little things. Also, I will be at the Black Hills Sports Show uh, February 11th, 12th, 13th, and we've got a small little giveaway for that. Got uh, $200 worth of some wilderness athlete. So if you want to get some of that, I may be putting that out for others to sign up for. I may just have it be a show giveaway. We'll see. I get one other big sponsor for that then uh, to have a get big item then i'll put it out for the rest of you listeners but otherwise locals only sorry on that one or whoever comes to the show but thanks again for listening and we've got a good episode this week and next week for sure i got uh one for sure after that i will keep on working on getting those good episodes but till then we'll talk to you later Hey Mark, thanks for coming on the the podcast this morning. And uh, this podcast is inspired by back pain. Wanted to uh, bring you <laughs> on, uh, and uh, you guys deal with kind of that a portion of the anatomy of, uh, and I'm sure some some folks have brought you questions right around. I'm big. I'm fat. I'm old. I got back pain. Um, I'm young. I'm skinny, healthy, but I got back pain, uh, and and I pretty sure I contribute that to putting way too much weight on my back with a crappy pack uh, and just push myself way too hard doing something uh, a few years ago and it just squished my disc down and ruined me so uh, but yeah mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about that in a little bit but first if you would let's let's talk about your phone and uh, but even before that why don't you introduce yourself yeah um, Mark with XO Mountain Gear so we make back uh backpack systems specifically for uh, backcountry hunting um, kind of personal stuff I grew up born and raised in the Midwest in Missouri and then you know did 
uh, only big game hunting was just whitetail there in Missouri and then did some small game stuff and turkey and uh, wasn't like a honestly like a super diehard hunter growing up but just love the outdoors in general so it was anything from hunting to shooting to camping to backpacking to four-wheeling to whatever just enjoyed being outside um and then after college is when i got more serious about hunting uh much more passionate uh, and when it became kind of more consuming if you would say in terms of my lifestyle Uh, and that's when i started hunting west as well so um yeah i've been doing that for quite a while and kind of a long story uh it's probably worth just skipping but anyway we're for exo mountain gear now uh and then also we have a podcast the hunt backcountry podcast and um yeah that's a short gist and you're still in missouri yeah i am so exo is based in boise idaho uh everyone except for me is out there but um yeah i'm stay home uh just in Missouri, mainly just to be by family. Uh, and then obviously travel for hunting or for work and kind of as needed. So, uh, it's good, man. It's like a good balance of being home, uh, and then hitting the road a bit, getting ready to hit the road here, uh, now in February of 2022 for shows like the hunt expo and Pacific Northwest sportsman show. And, uh, obviously, hunting this spring and death hike this summer and then fall will be here before you know it. So it's usually the years fill up fast when I start looking at travel schedules. Yeah. And I suppose show season is up and running and you guys have been kind of all over. Yeah. I was supposed to be at shot show last week, but, uh, like a million other people seemingly got COVID. So that yeah. <laughs> it's been a slow start for me just cause I couldn't travel for a bit, but yeah, we'll be busy here in February for sure. Sure. Um, and I looked back, episode 20 of mine is when we chatted last. This is episode one, like 12. So it's been a while. Oh, so, but uh, yeah. episode 20, um, if you're looking at the K3 system, uh, it's pretty similar to back then. So, or if not the same. So, it's uh, someone wants to reference that as to what packs we're, we're talking about. Go back and listen to that. Um, and then tell us a little bit about EXO. I've really, uh, really kind of, enjoyed the company for multiple reasons and we'll get into a bunch of those things but one thing i really really like is it's small company you got just a small staff tell us about your guys's philosophy um maybe wrapped up with the podcast there what your what your main mission and drive is besides producing backpacks and and selling them yeah i mean it's um very different company for sure and i I think some of that's uh you know like if people look online they may think oh my gosh they have instagram like every other company in a podcast and you know a lot of stuff going on which is true but at the same time we honestly purposely stay small in a lot of ways like we say no to a lot of stuff um whether that's product or other opportunities just because we want to remain focused on what our core is and what we're passionate about from a product perspective. Um, That's backcountry hunting pack systems. Um, And then we really enjoy the fact that we're a direct to consumer company and that we get to interact with our customers directly. Um, And so we don't have like a retailer middleman, but we also don't want to get so big that like we have this giant staff of, you know, quote unquote, customer service people or whatever, that, you know, really may or may not either be super involved with the product or even with using it like as a hunter. So we have a really small staff and everybody is really involved with both the product, um, both in development as well as using it because everybody's really a hunter. And so as we get to interact with customers, like we know what they're going through, um, we have experiences to share and things like that. And we just personally love, love that fact. Um, And so, yeah, it's been great. Like we grow for sure. We've grown every year and um, all that, but at the same time, you know, there's just like guys ask us all the time, are you guys going to make a bino harness? You're going to do, you know, you're going to get into clothing or you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And really the answer to all that stuff is no. Um, and that's because we want to stay small and stay focused. And yeah, that means we, we don't do other things and we probably don't sell nearly as much stuff as we could because we could come out with, you know, other products and sell them, but that's just not really what we're after. Yeah. That's admirable. 
Um, and then with the podcast too, remind us again the name of the podcast and just kind of what you guys look to do there because you've got a few little education platforms here that kind of comes goes along yeah. with customer service. I mean, that's what you guys are providing is is customer service and um, resources. What's the what do you like to to say your podcast is all about? Yeah, I mean, we started it in 2015. Um, and back then there weren't too many hunting podcasts and especially not too many that were focused on kind of like Western or mountain or backcountry hunting. And it was really as simple as Steve and I were going, man, we know some cool people and we have these cool conversations. We should probably like share that. And so, you know, it was just guys that we knew and things that we were passionate about and learning about and researching. It's like, let's make that public and launch a podcast. And we didn't know anything about starting a podcast, hosting a podcast or none of that. Um, and then now here we are, you know, almost seven years later, which is insane. Um, so yeah, the podcast has, you know, grown over time and in a lot of ways stayed the same, meaning like we're still focused on just kind of sharing conversations that are, uh, both entertaining as well as educational. And so we like to get, you know, quote unquote experts on who may have an expertise in a certain area or topic of hunting and talking to them. But one thing that's changed and grown over the years is now we have this super cool audience of great hunters. And again, being small and like staying connected to our customer base. And some of these guys aren't even EXO users, but they're podcast listeners. Uh, Mm -hmm. We just get a lot of cool connections and stories and emails of like, Hey, like the podcast that just came out this week, for example, just started because a guy went on, went on a hunt in Alaska and shot us a quick email with some photos of him using his pack and like a few bullet points about the hunt. And then I found out he didn't even tell me the whole story, but like he got dropped off and it ended up hunting solo and he was supposed to be guided and he killed the moose on the second day of the hunt was all by himself in the Alaska wilderness. He'd never been there before, never hunted moose before. Now he has this massive <laughs> moose on the ground to handle by himself. And it's like so cool to me that we get to share those stories of everyday guys that probably never would have been told otherwise, like maybe to his friends and family. Yeah. yeah. But now we get to share it with like, you know, thousands of people versus 10 or 20. And uh, so anyway, sometimes the podcasts are a listener story like that sometimes they're you know still interviews on very specific topics um sometimes it's just q a like gear chat stuff because we get a lot of questions on that so the variety uh is cool but it also always stays centered around you know the focus of backcountry hunting yeah i look at podcasting a lot as a as a the new age library it's a there's a lot of things that i learned yeah. from people and i don't even worry about it if I'm going to forget about, forget it, I can go back and listen. It's something I learned and I can go back and Mm -hmm. listen. It's there. It's there forever. And I can share that. And I've got all my, all the stories and things that, yeah, it really makes you wish you, I'd done it sooner. But, um, yeah. And that's one thing that we struggled with is we got to the point where like we have hundreds and hundreds of episodes and guys would reach out and be like, Oh, you should talk about this. And it's like, oh, we actually did. But the problem was it was five years ago. So it's hard to find it. And that, you know, and we're also like totally open to rehashing conversations and topics we've had in the past. But we were able to update our uh, our website for the podcast uh, this past year, which is if you just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, you'll get to it. But we added like a search feature and then like some categories and tagging. And so you can go there and click on archery or elk or, you know, different keywords and like basically see all of the back catalog of podcast episodes about certain things or search by other keywords. And it's not perfect, but actually works really well. Yeah. Um, so that's been something kind of cool because, you know, things like uh, it just came up this week. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool to hear you guys talk about, you know, dehydrating food and making your own backpacking meals. Um it's like, yep, that's a great topic. We actually talked about it, you know, like probably three years ago at this point. And again, we'll probably talk about more again in the future, but I was able to quickly find that episode and then point, you know, that guy to it, which was helpful. Yeah. No, I was just playing around in that. I mean, episode 15 just popped up. Episode 302. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's a, 
yeah, I bet the uh, pack systems look a little different back then. Um, yeah, for sure. So let's go on to uh, my old manness, and uh, um, and I've been really think very pleased with my uh, K3 system. Uh, and, and having that really for my day hunts as well as my, my multi-day hunts, um, where I'm staying out. But the, uh, before that I had some hand-me-down pack that was meant for a backpacker and huge, huge capacity. I could throw two quarters in there and then strap one on the outside. And that's probably what got me being that I threw on too much weight what are some of the uh, the uh, what's the value first of all of having a quality pack and, and in relation to mountain fitness and and trying to uh, take care of the guy that um, maybe has bad back issues or trying to prevent them? We're all trying to prevent them, obviously. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it, um, the prevention stuff's important for sure. I mean, if you're using a good pack that's specifically designed to carry heavy loads and you're then using it properly, um, there really shouldn't be much risk uh, to either creating a back issue or even flaring up an issue that maybe you have from something else, right? So if you have a bad back or previous injury or what have you, um, having a pack that's built again to haul weight and then knowing how to use that properly shouldn't aggravate that or flare it up. And back issues are tough because there's all different kinds of back issues and reasons for them. Um, and that's like, man, even if you just like, and I'm not, I'm just no doctor or physical therapist or anything, but if you go into those worlds, it's like, you start looking at back pain, back issues, how to leave it. There's like endless, <laughs> Uh, thoughts on that and like causes and solutions and sometimes it's imbalances and your hip structure and has nothing to do with your back but it manifests itself as back issues yada 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 but to talk about packs for a little bit with back issues um if we start like at a, a base level there's many packs out there that guys have had experiences with and and maybe think oh man it's it you know it hurts my shoulders it puts a lot of weight on my shoulders or on my back and fundamentally that shouldn't happen at all and so if you take like a just to like use an extreme just a regular go into school type jansport backpack all the weight truly is hanging from your shoulders and we even see this um with some military packs and there's, there's good reasons for this, but in some military applications, guys don't use a pack hip belt because the military guy may have like body armor or a battle belt or a sidearm on their hips. And so they do carry a lot of that weight from the shoulders. And if you think about weight hanging from your shoulders and not being supported at the low end, so not being supported by hip belt, that by nature, by gravity, all that weight is putting compression on your spine. Um, and that's where a lot of issues can come into play. And not only that, but because you don't have support at that lower end with a good hip belt and lumbar support, um, when you're missing that point of contact, there's a lot of instability as well. And so if you think of, um, again, throw even a low weight of like 20 pounds in a Jansport backpack and you take off and start moving and hiking, you're going to feel a lot of movement because it's not fully supported. Um, so with us, everything kind of starts from the bottom and works up. So it's like the opposite of thinking of shoulders, of thinking of weight pushing down on your spine and causing compression. For us, it all starts with the hip belt and the lumbar support and then works its way up. And that's really key because you're, if you look at your physical anatomy what's carrying the weight or what should be carrying the weight is your lower body structure. And so what we do with our pack design is we transfer the weight into the hips and then 
into the lower body so that both from a muscular perspective and a skeletal perspective, it's your lower trunk um, and legs that are really supporting the weight and you're not carrying it with a lot of pressure on your back or your shoulders or things like that. So um, I could keep rambling forever, but that's probably a good place to kind of start if that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and does it, when you're let's, let's, I'm sure a lot of people throw their, their waist belt on just a little, maybe incorrectly so that Mm -hmm. we can get a good visual, um, with the hip belt coming around, we've got the top of our hips. We go and find the top of our hips. What's the proper fit for the, the height of that waist belt. And then I also like the, uh, I'll ask my follow-up question after, but yeah, but what's the proper placement of that? Yep. So most guys are used to like thinking of their waist is their pant line. Um, and that's where things feel natural and comfortable. And so that's where a lot of guys by default will secure their pack hip belt is, you know, near the top of their pants. Cause it's like, Oh, that's my waist. Mm-hmm. What we really want to do is find the top of your hip bones. Uh, it's called your iliac crest in your anatomy. And it's usually above where you wear your pants and then a bit below like your belly button. And so if you go between like, here's where my pants are, here's where my belly button is. Let me go between there and then like start working with my hands out to the sides. You'll feel the top like crest of your hip bones or what some guys may think of like is the pelvis. And you want the pack, the pack's hip belt to be centered vertically on that point. So with our pack, the hip belt, you know, has some height to it and then also has a center line. And so that center line is going to go right over the crest of the hips. And one of the main reasons we do that is because the bone structure, those hips, it's creating like a physical shelf, like a physical point for the pack's hip belt to sit and then not slip down further or not be cutting up too high and then cutting into your belly and like adding tension. And so we want the rigidity of that bone structure to be a good point to support and transfer the load of the pack. And so, yeah, finding that top point of your hip bones, getting the hip belt centered there vertically is like the first step to really fitting not only our pack, but really properly fitting packs um, that are designed to distribute weight. Gotcha. Does that change at all? I suppose not. If you got really high hips or really low hips, still trying to stick on those, that top of the iliac crest yeah no matter yeah because that does that's a great question because um you could take two guys who are six foot for example and some guys who are six foot are going to have higher hips which means they're going to have like a shorter torso which is roughly your hips up to the base of your neck let's call it and then you could take another guy who's six foot he's gonna have lower hips which means he has a longer torso or a longer distance between his hips and the base of his neck. And that's why it's important that a pack has torso length adjustment so that it can, can, it can accommodate for your unique uh, dimensions, basically like your, your ratio, your torso length. And a lot of guys start, they may be familiar with like an adjustable torso. Um, and, but they think about that first before the hip belt. And so some guys will say, Um, I put the pack on and the hip belt was riding too low. So I need to change my torso length, right? Which makes some sense, but we want to look at that backwards. And so when we think about both putting a pack on as well as adjusting a pack and making changes to settings, such as your torso length, think of starting at the bottom and working your way up. And so instead of putting the pack on, letting it sit on your shoulders and then seeing where your hip belt ends up, we want to put the back on, set the hip belt in the proper position, and then evaluate, are my shoulder, is my shoulder harness like way too high or is it way too low? And that tells us if we need to adjust the torso length. And we go like, when you don't have a visual, this probably sounds really complicated, um, but we have a very easy to follow step-by-step fitting and adjustment video that walks you through this. And then one thing we've done with our packs as well is we basically built in fitting indicators, meaning you don't have to guess is your torso length like 
too short or too long because in the pack we have certain uh, fitting indicators where it's like, okay, if this is positioned here on you, uh, it's too long. If it's positioned here on you, it's too short. And again, we walk through that visually on that video. So it's actually a super easy process to dial in, at least with our packs. Um, mm. Not all pack systems even have the right adjustments, which again, becomes a problem because there's no such thing as a one size fits all pack system, especially when you're talking about a pack system meant to carry weight and support a load. And so for us, that means, you know, we have multiple frame heights, we have size specific hip belts, we have an adjustable torso, uh, a micro adjust on our hip belt, we have a lumbar pad with a lumbar shim system to dial in lumbar pressure. And so we have a very simple pack system, but that still has a lot of adjustability so that I can take a pack and have it fit you for like your unique body shape and size and then have, you know, some different sizing and adjustment options for someone who's built much differently. Yeah. That the lumbar support is what feels so good. Just when you're, you know, you have the right, right fit on it. Having that pressure right in my lower back is, well, that's where the pain is. So even stretching that out the way that pad pushes feels good. And having that yeah. on there really helps to not be almost hunched over quite a ways carrying that. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of... Yeah, one thing that's like counterintuitive for a lot of people with back issues, and that's actually the, the owner and founder of Exa Mountain Gear has a really bad back. Um, if a pack fits you well, it should actually help and with most back issues. Um, by that, it's providing like support to your back, not um, external pressure that's going to be harmful. And so even Steve, the owner of EXO, like if he's out hiking with his family and he's not, you know, training, so he's not like carrying a bunch of weight, a lot of times he'll throw on one of our packs, just empty, but that hip belt and how it helps support his hips and his back and his pelvis and bring stability to it, he's actually more comfortable hiking with the pack, even if it's empty, than he is hiking without it, which may seem like counterintuitive. Speaking of hiking with family, I got to, so my three-year-old is now like, he's, he's a light 30 pounder, 32, somewhere in there. Um, so I take the frame of the pack and then I got this mm-hmm. crappy Kelty kid carrier and I strap that to the frame of the pack and then he sits really nicely in there. That's my, yep. that's my go-to for that. And I did during rifle season, I needed to carry me a little ways. Actually work. I left the bag on the, the, uh, my frame and then just like made a little buckle so it was almost like a seat and then slid him in there sat down hiked our like one mile it was perfect yeah and he just grabbed onto my neck neck and on we went but for shed season it's going to have to be a little bit more permanent um so we'll go back to the old uh, kid carrier strap to the pack method yeah it works really well those packs are not meant to have right weight distribution i'm always getting pulled back I can go a mile in those packs, but with the other, it fits way better. Sits nicer. Yeah. That's one of the things that guys ask us for. Like, you should make a kid carrier for your pack, which honestly we'd love to, but it's just one of those things that we're so focused on our core, right? On still improving, trying to perfect, like, the hunting pack. Um, And again, being small, not having unlimited time and resources to work on, call it side projects. Like, it would be cool to do, but... Steve and I both have had young kids and did exactly what you described of when they're young, taking a kid carrier and strapping it to our frame. Um, and then as they get older, you can still use a kid carrier, but as they get older and like, say they have um, the strength to stand for a while, like guys will literally just open up one of our bags cause it's a roll top and literally drop a kid in there uh-huh. and let them kind of stand in the bottom of the bag and then hold on to the top of the frame, uh, which I'm not saying is like, that's an ideal solution. Again, it's not, but like kids actually have a lot of fun doing that most oh, of yeah. the time if it's a shorter hike. Yeah. That's one thing I will miss for sure as he gets older, uh, because that is my happy place is when I'm hiking around and he's chirping in my ear, he's yep. way up high. He can see, see the deer and elk poop and he can point it out. He can see the rubs. He told me the other day, we want to, let's go find 
some rubs. Let's go find some rubs. It's just something he likes and him chirping in my ear that makes that, that experience a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I miss, I miss when my kids were young and I could do that with them. Cause I just like you, that was like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So let's um, do a kind of a scenario of we're at a trailhead and we're headed out where we've got just a a day, day's worth of stuff on our back. Um, the setup to, and not properly fitting your pack, but the, the proper setup for adjustment from leaving a trailhead, we're going to go hike uphill. We hear, we know there's elk up there. Um, what adjustment? things should we be considering there down to say the order of buckling and everything to make sure that that it's on there right to to make sure we're getting that good back support yeah so this um it's one of those things that you pay more attention to up front and then as you do it more it becomes like second nature and you do it without thinking about it um, and so if you're new to a pack, whether it's like our pack or just to using this type of pack, when you're newer to it, you need to pay more attention because it's easy to do it wrong. And at the same time, you're also figuring out those, maybe those different adjustments of like, Hey, do I need to raise the shoulder harness? Do I need to lower it, et cetera. But once you're more used to using the pack, it really becomes second nature and when you get to the pack, when you get the pack dialed into the point where it's like, oh, this feels so good, like you're going to figure out what works for you and then be able to almost like put the pack in that call it setting without paying much attention. But we do recommend like anytime you're putting the pack on and I'm not talking about like uh, when it's new to you and you're changing settings or figuring out where to set different adjustments, but literally just putting the pack on period start with the adjustments loose, like the base adjustments. By that, I mean, obviously the hip belt has buckles and webbing for tension, as do the shoulder harness uh, and the load lifters, for example. And so, you know, you may have just hiked with, call it 20 pounds, and you had the hip belt set up a certain way and the shoulder harness, you know, dialed in with the right amount of pressure for that load. But maybe you took the pack off and you had just killed an elk or a deer and now you have 80 pounds um, in the pack. And so you don't want to put the pack back on at the same level of tension and adjustment you had it on with 20 pounds. And again, I'm not talking about like taking the pack apart or doing anything difficult. I'm just saying, let's take the tension out of those adjustment points, your hip belt, your shoulder harness, your load lifters. Um, and so just loosen up that webbing and those adjustments is step one. And then again, as you put the pack on, think of working from the bottom up. And so you put the pack on, you connect the hip belts, and then you set the position. Uh, again, all this becomes totally second nature on the hips. And then you pull the webbing to adjust it and make it nice and snug. Working your way up, um, you can pull your shoulder harness, um, so your shoulder straps, and set proper tension there. Connect your sternum strap or your chest strap and just lightly snug that. You don't want a lot of tension there, but just lightly snug it. And then the last thing would be your load lifters, which is the connection from the top of the frame that comes down at an angle to kind of like the top of the shoulder harness. And that would be the last one. And again, you don't need to pull those super tight. Uh, you just kind of want to snug those in. And so that quick process of tension on the hip belt, tension on the shoulder harness, tension on the sternum strap, tension on the load lifters, super quick, becomes second nature. But it is something that can change a little bit based on the, the load that you're carrying and how much weight you have in the pack, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so continue on with that with, or do the same series with 80 to 100 pounds on your back. Yep. So okay. same process. It's just, you know, things are going to feel a little bit different. So, um, you know, you may find that you're adding a little more tension to the um, load lifters, for example, just because, you know, we're working with physics, leverage and gravity, really. Right. So if you have 100 pounds on the pack, yes, you have 100 pounds wanting to, you know, push down from gravity. 
but you also have a hundred pounds kind of pulling back a little bit. And so you offset that um, number, first of all, by loading the weight properly, which is a different discussion maybe we can get into, but with, you know, pulling the load lifters pulls the frame towards you and in, which is pulling the weight closer towards your back and towards the center of gravity. And you don't need to wrench on that really hard. What you're just doing is looking for the right amount of like stability, um, in that. Sure. And, the uh, um, amount of belt tension is always kind of something I adjust throughout my pack outs. It seems like, man, I'm going to crank this thing down and I got a lot of tension there. Um, is there a, is there a, and I know that's a lot of feel, is there a kind of a rule of thumb you like to tell people of, of how much tension on that belt, how much to, um, with a load, I mean, uh, yeah. those shoulder straps, how, how close to those shoulders? Right. Yeah. So, uh, the hip belt tension, and again, this is like, we don't have visuals, so things yeah. are difficult and I'm not next to you to like work with you. Right. But, uh, to talk about it at a base level, some guys uh, don't put enough tension on the the hip belts. And when you do that, even if you started with the hip belt position properly on that crest of the hips, because it doesn't have enough tension, it doesn't want to stay on the hips. And so it's going to be prone to slide down further, which is going to do uh, several things. But two primary issues come into play when the hip belt slides down is obviously it's then allowing the weight to come onto your shoulders. And so you're going to get more pressure, more tension in the shoulders, but it's really because your hip belt wasn't properly secured and is, is going down. And then also as the hip belt moves down from the crest, the bone structure of the hips, it's coming lower towards your hip flexors. And so it can then begin to put pressure, more muscular and joint pressure on the actual hip flexors, especially as you're hiking and making that hiking movement and then cause discomfort there. And so we want to put enough tension on the hip belt to keep it in place. When guys run into having too much tension, sometimes that is allowed to happen because of the placement of the hip belt. Meaning if I pull the hip belt tight and it's positioned properly on the crest of the hips, the hip belt is tightening against, again, physical bone structure. And so it's not going to compress um, my bones, right? It's not going to change that structure. But say the hip belt was too high and over, like more over your belly and over your gut. At that point in time, you could tighten it. And now instead of being against the hard bone structure, it's up against soft tissue. Mm-hmm. And so now you could literally cut off like that's when it gets into like, oh, I don't feel like I can breathe or this is like hurting my stomach. It's so tight. Sometimes it's so much tension, but it's also allowed to happen because it's not against that fixed bone structure. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What about then moving on to, to the placement of that weight? Um, specifically talking about packing out a, an animal and an, an appropriate mount, not overdoing it. So I, I end up, being solo a lot so that's it's always a i don't want to come in here again so i'm gonna right. take a stupid amount and do a stupid hike and i don't know how many times i've told myself quit doing that and i still do it uh what uh what are some tips on that for for getting that weight distributed a little bit better yeah i mean so the fundamental rules uh from a high level are you want to keep it close to your center of gravity, which means you just want to keep the weight close to your body and close to your back. So next to your back. So that means doing things like, um, and again, hopefully your pack system is designed to accommodate this because many aren't, but in our system, I'll just speak to that. You know, the, the bag detaches from the frame and you're able to put meats directly against the actual frame, which is the closest point to your back. Um, an alternative to that would be packs where you put meat in the bag. Um, and now that meat is further away from your back. It's also not supported and is secure and it's going to tend to, because of gravity, want to fall down or like in extreme cases, you took meat or like a quarter and you strapped it to the outside of the bag. And now it's even further away from your back. So again, we want to keep it as close to your back as possible. That's your center of gravity. And it's also decreasing leverage. 
And so you just think about a pound dumbbell and holding it right next to your chest. That's pretty sinking easy to do and to hold. But if you take that 20 pound dumbbell and you extend your arm out away from you, the further you go away, the more you feel the weight and the more leverage um, that you're losing, it's out there. And it's the same like uh, principle of those guys who walk a tightrope and you put weight out away. That, that small weight becomes a greater and greater amount with distance. Um, same thing like an archery stabilizer, right? If you had a, a stabilizer that was four inches long with a four ounce weight, that's one thing. If you take the same four ounces of weight, but you extend it out 24 inches from your bow, that weight is having a greater effect. And so again, keeping it close to the center of gravity is what we want to do because we don't want to extend or feel the weight. We want to reduce how much weight we're feeling. So we want to keep it close. The other thing is just keeping it positioned in your mid to upper back and then keeping it stable and secure. So we don't want the weight shifting around or moving either laterally or vertically. And then we don't want it um, too low because that's when you do run into extreme lumbar pressure or creating too much pressure on the lower back. And so again, if you take say a bunch of boned out meat and just drop it in the bag, it's gonna sink to the bottom of the bag and all that weight is gonna be low and on your lower back. But if you secure it to the frame and then the frame is built to have some mechanism to keep it in place, ideally we want that to be mid or mid to upper back. And so that's what we've designed our pack systems to do. Um, again, a good visual to see that is if you just head over to our YouTube channel. Uh, there's actually a pretty recent video um, showing how to load both bone in quarters as well as boned out meat on our pack frame. Um, and then, you know, there's other, like, I've only talked high level. There's other little things you can do. Like if you take a rear quarter of whether it's an elk or a deer, or another big game animal, um, if it's a bone in rear quarter, for example, you'll notice that one side of that is very rounded and the other side's very flat. And so doing simple things like putting the flat side down on the frame is going to keep that from moving or rocking. Whereas if you had put the round side down, now it's going to want to tilt and rock. So there's other little like simple things you can do. Uh, but again, from a super high level, keep it close to your back, keep it into your mid or upper back, and then make sure it's secured well so that it's not going to move or shift, especially while you're hiking. Because um, weight obviously creates momentum. And so if your weight is moving around, it uh, could literally become kind of dangerous, especially if you're hiking off trail or in real steep country. Yeah. The, uh, order of that it's obviously throwing in a hind quarter or front quarter if you just had one beautiful little quarter there that sat nice close to your back and that was good mm -hmm. and all but you're throwing in extra you're throwing in maybe the bag of the heart and the back straps and a few other things and maybe it's two front quarters what's the arrangement mm -hmm. what's your typical go-to arrangement for um say the first pack out when you got everything's an option uh, with that quarter, but then maybe with some antlers, it doesn't fit that well in there with it or what's your, yeah. What's your go-to that you did this year? If you, if you, I'm assuming you packed out something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the animal. Um, so I, I'll use like two different scenarios from this year. Um, we killed, I killed a bull in Idaho and, um, October. And so with a larger animal like elk being bigger than deer, for example, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, number one, you're not going to pack, you know, four quarters for sure. Like even packing two quarters is usually yeah. more than people right. want to bite off. So what's common with an elk is one quarter and then, yeah, potentially some loose meat with that. Um, and so if you take uh, a rear quarter or front quarter, again, flat side down against the frame, usually have uh, the leg or the knee up in the frame, right? So the, the big meat of the quarter is um, lower and then the leg is sticking up higher. Obviously, you want to try and remove the lower leg at the knee so you're not dealing with that. 
Um, but yeah, so get the meat of the quarter kind of positioned right in the middle of the frame, flat side down the knee joint that you cut that knee may be sticking up above the frame, which is generally okay. And then because you have the meats positioned kind of centered, um, maybe the lower third of the frame, you still have some room because that's going to taper as you go up on the frame and extend up to then position some boned out meat above that. And so that usually works well. And that's actually the, one of the very specific scenarios we showed in that recent video I mentioned oh, was, okay. all right, here's an elk quarter. Here's a bag of boned out meat. Here's the best way to position it and secure it. Yeah. Um, if you go to a smaller animal like deer, um, for example, I was up in Kodiak in November hunting Sitka blacktail uh, and several times packed out an entire buck in one trip. And so that's, you know, it gets a little bit trickier, not necessarily because it's even heavier than some elk loads that are uh, maybe one quarter and one boned out bag. A whole deer quarter could be just as light, but you are dealing with uh, more components, right? More yeah, pieces. A lot of stuff and this that... gets into, yeah, this gets into even how have you broken that out? Meaning if you had four quarters, back straps, trim meat, neck meat, whatever, how, first of all, how many game bags did you put that into, right? So how many true, call it blocks, if you want to think of it that way, like how many pieces of this puzzle are we working with? Uh, but again, it usually comes down to just positioning things in a way that makes sense where you're putting flat surfaces against one another to minimize movement. Um, and then sometimes you're filling in gaps with kind of the boned out meat. Um it depends, again, depends on the situation, but uh, like I think on one of those Kodiak bucks, I put a rear and front quarter in one bag together, and then I could have easily fit boned out meat in one bag, but actually put it into two bags simply because now I have two smaller pieces uh, rather than one larger piece. Um, and so that works well because you can kind of fill in quote unquote, the gaps between the quarters with smaller portions of boned out meat, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when it comes to packing out like head, so skull and antlers, typically, um, you're not putting that necessarily in the load shelf or in the meat area between the bag and the frame, but more on top of that. And again, this is going to depend on your animal. So if it's like elk, and you have this really large quarter, and again, that knee joint may be sticking out above the frame a little bit, you're going to need to go just on the opposite side of that, and then that's where you're going to position the skull. Um, we always recommend antlers go down, not up, and that's for a whole bunch of reasons, including safety, um, but also stability. And so think of uh, when you're putting a skull on the top of the pack, a lot of times we situate it where it's basically on top of the bag and then the lids coming over the skull from the top and acting almost as a compression panel to hold it down. But in terms of positioning, you want to position the skull so that its nose is in the air and then its uh, jaw, like or its teeth are facing you, facing the back um, and not the other way around. So, Again, we don't have visuals here, but nose in the air, teeth are like towards your back, which means the top of the skull or the head is pointing away from your back and the antlers are coming down. Uh, again, that's sounds like a broken record, but we have a video that's all about packing a skull and antlers. Yeah. And then two other things I would point you to, I just thought of, we actually have blog articles um, on our website. Uh, there's two separate ones. One is on pack fitting and adjustment and the other one is on the loading of meat and antlers and there are two separate articles that are basically before and after examples and so what we did was we took real photos from customers that they had sent us um we blocked out their faces and kept things anonymous but again we like working with our customers and seeing their feedback so we'll do that with fitting and we have very clear examples of like, all right, here's what a customer sent us. And then here's what we fixed. And then here's the change. And so you see this side by side, like before and after of a pack that doesn't fit or isn't adjusted well. And then next to that, that's the same exact person with the same exact pack. 
but now it's fitted and adjusted properly. And having that side by side and the before and after is really helpful. And then we did a very similar thing with like loading meat and antlers. We took real field photos from customers and like, hey, here's an example where a guy did a great job and here's five reasons why. And then here's an example where this guy could have had a much better experience packing out this buck or this bull or what have you, because here's three things that he did quote unquote wrong, or at least he could have done better. Um, and where was that? At? And so it's on our sites. And I can send you the links after this. Maybe we can put them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. But they're, they're articles on our site that I could pull up pretty easily for you. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, but the, the before and after the yeah. on the blog, yep, that before and after really helps visually show um, and usually clicks with guys because, you know, you could go watch our videos, which are great. And we're showing it, we're showing you how to do it the right way, but sometimes it's almost helpful to see the wrong way because mm-hmm. it highlights like, okay, here's what I don't want to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think those would be helpful resources. Yeah. No, it looks like some fun stuff in there using your pack as a, as a, uh, rest shooting rest, um, carrying a rifle yeah, with blogging. your pack and just a, yeah, there's a few fun reads in there. Yeah, on our blog in general, there's, you know, some of them are like non-pack things, like, hunt you know, with a suppressor. related, but then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hunting with a suppressor, but then there's the yeah, other ones that are like, yeah, how to shoot your rifle with our pack. It has nothing to do with like our pack in particular, but so again, like some of this stuff is universal to using packs and not necessarily specific to uh, XO, meaning if you don't have an XO, like some of these resources would still help you out. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, next thing I was going to ask was, uh, just about it's the end of the year maintenance. We're in seasons are for sure done. Um, unless you got some, there's always something going on, but, uh, what end of the year pack maintenance would be good for our packs to, to, to do to make sure they last the longest possible. Yeah, this is a, a good one to address because a lot of guys don't think of it. Um, and it's not necessarily even call it end of the year, but even into your hunt. And one of the primary first things that comes to mind, because this is one of the primary issues we run into is making sure your pack is clean. And by that, I mean, yes, clean of blood. If you've packed out an animal, but also clean, meaning you didn't leave like food or trash or other things in there. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the most common calls that we get is, hey, I left my pack and I either left it bloody or I didn't realize it, but I left food in it, you know, in the bottom and my dog chewed it or mice got to it or something like that. And so you'd be surprised how many guys like accidentally leave a cliff bar or some food in their pack and then a it's maybe it's sitting in their garage or whatever where a critter could get to it. And then a mice chews a hole through it to get to the food. Or again, they leave it bloody for a while after a pack out. And then their dog is like chewing on the straps and stuff. Um, It's shocking how much that happens. So (laughs) one clean it out, both in terms of making sure it's empty and then also cleaning it. If you've done a pack out and your pack's bloody we generally don't recommend waiting to the end of the year, but just doing that as of soon course. as possible after the hunt. Um, and if you don't wait a long time, it's actually really easy to clean. And so all you really want to do like for a pack out and you have some blood, for example, is spray it down just with a good rinse and then do a cold soak. Um, we've, we used to do warm soaks, but actually we found that cold, works better and like the colder the better so sometimes we even like throw ice in the water um you can do that inside like in a bathtub if you know your wife's not going to divorce you or if you can't do that just get like a storage bin or a big cooler or something outside and just mm-hmm. let the pack soak in the water uh for like two three four hours um you're not going to hurt anything by doing that and then just give it a good final rinse when you're done if you have any trouble spots, um, you can use like a soft brush or soft rag to hand wash those trouble shot spots. You can add like a scent-free detergent to that soak. Um, you know, the scent-free detergent, you may wash your hunting clothes in. All that stuff's totally fine. You can take the pack apart as little or as much as you want to. You don't have to take it apart. There's nothing you have to remove that can't be part of the wash or the soak. Um, it, uh, 
minimum, we just recommend not necessarily removing the bag from the frame, but at least separating that bag to frame connection to expose the load shelf, because that's probably where you packed meat. That's probably where most of the blood is. Um, so as long as you do that, you know, relatively soon after a pack out, uh, it's really easy, cleans up and should look brand new. And then, yeah, at the end of the year, um, especially make sure it's not, doesn't have food or stuff in it. And then the only other storage thing that comes to mind is if you leave the pack weighted, like say throughout the winter and the spring and the summer, you're doing weighted training hikes and you have, you know, 60 or 80 pounds or whatever, <coughs> excuse me, is when you keep the pack weighted and when you store it, just don't store it with um, the foam compressed. And so if, instead of setting the pack, the weighted pack down where the shoulder harness and the lumbar pad and the hip belt is under the weight, just flip it over and set it where the weight is down. So like the bag sides down on the ground oh, and sure. then the shoulder harness and hip belt and all that stuff is up. And that's just because there is some uh, memory, not memory to the foam, but basically if you keep the foam compressed, it, it's subtle, but there could be over prolonged time, some degradation to that. So yeah, that um, makes sense. isn't it? isn't it ever an issue of like how much you wear the pack or how much you keep it loaded. And we get guys question like, is it okay to keep my pack loaded? Like, is it going to be bad on the webbing or the buckles? And none of that is the case. It's just making sure that foam's not constantly compressed. Yeah. I always notice too, it takes, I, I don't know how many times I washed my pack this year, but it, it did seem that it's always a, I get that initial soak in the tub and then I'll drain it do it again, drain it, do it again. It really just until it gets a lot more clear. Cause it's always kind of bloody to start with get dirt's coming out of there all over the place, silt, and then yep. just keep doing it until it's nice and clear. It seems to work well. I didn't think about adding just a scent free soap. I'm not a big scent product guy, but, um, maybe just for the sake of using, I got this stuff, some stuff sitting around and might, right. well, might as well add that stuff in there knowing it's, Maybe a little less abrasive. Maybe it's it's something that can handle or not uh, not harm your the equipment any anymore. So um, yeah, and that's another thing you can do too. Like uh, again, I'm not a big scent free, especially it's different if you're whitetail hunting and you can control things. But if you go on a week long backpack hunt in the mountains, like I don't care how scent free you started, you you're not going to stay scent free, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But guys who train in their packs a lot, like through the spring, summer, a lot of those, you can do the same thing and just wash it. You don't have to use scent-free soap, but just to get some of that salt and BO out of it before hunting season, is probably not a bad idea. Again, yeah. I don't think you're ever going to make any of your gear hundred percent scent-free for an extended backcountry hunt. But if you want to at least get four months of sweat and stink out of it before you hunt, that's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. And just to wrap things up a little bit here, uh, so we can both get back to work is, uh, just some of those additional resources that I've, I've really enjoyed and, and want to highlight those a little bit. We've got the, the new gear list that's there. It's a pretty fancy spreadsheet with all kinds of calculations and formulas put in there. And then, uh, the training plan. Can you just highlight those quick? Yeah, there's, uh, I think, actually, it says resources, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah. on our website and the main menu. And then if you go under there, there's three things. There's a free training plan, a free nutrition guide, and then a free gear list. Um, the gear list one is a template. It's pre-populated with uh, pretty much the gear that I personally use. And it's not necessarily to show what I'm using, but guys do like seeing that stuff. But the idea is you take this template and the spreadsheet, you make your own copy of it, and then now you can replace my items with your items. So you take out my tent, you put in your tent. But it, it's also just a helpful checklist and tool to compare things. And so uh, the gearless spreadsheet has categories um, like shelter and sleep system versus pack versus first aid, whatever. Um, but you can put in your gear, there's a spot for the weight of that specific item, and then the spreadsheet automatically tallies the weight of that category. And then also your total pack weight as well. 
And the other kind of cool thing is there's like a check mark by each item. So you can turn them on and off, meaning I may have like my bipod on there under hunting gear. But if I'm going to go on an archery hunt, not a rifle hunt, I'm clearly not taking a bipod. And so I can just check where that item is on or off and it automatically will like update my pack weight based on the items I turn on or off. And there's also a second check mark where if you want to use this as like an actual packing list, which I do a lot is I'm getting ready to go on this week long hunt. I want to go through every item on my gear list and physically like, yep, I have this. Yep. It's packed. That's there too. And then there's like some other extra categories for like, pre-trip checklists, backup gear to have at the truck, like all kinds of stuff. Like it sounds really weird and random, but I usually have on mine, I think it's on the example spreadsheet. Like one of my pre-trip, pre-trip checklists is things like let my wife know where I'm going to be, but it's also like cut my toenails, which sounds really weird. But oh, if you've had yeah, a bad experience absolutely. with that on a week long hunt, then you're like, Oh yeah, I should probably remember to do that. Um, so anyway, it's pretty comprehensive. Charge uh, batteries. They get, yeah, charge batteries, right? Perfect. Yeah. No, I like that you added offline that. maps. Yeah, I love that you added that in there because I did the same thing. Fuel up the four wheeler. Yeah. Do this. Do that. Uh, yeah. Throw in, and then I even added a vehicle one in there. Maybe I don't think. Oh, maybe, perfect. Maybe you had one. I don't know. Just okay. Do I have a? I do I have my four way wrench. I got my jack. I got yeah the spares there. The this the that I throw in. Um, there's a socket set in there. There's a pliers. There's this and that just for the, the emergency scenarios, extra belt for the truck, something, um, yep. throw that in there as an additional, additional thing just to make sure the day the old truck takes a, takes a dive, I'm all, all not freeze to death. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, whether you're doing like a backpack hunt or it's like a, yeah, a weekend, like to deer camp or whatever, it's pretty pretty helpful tool so that's there um the training plan you mentioned so there's a gym in texas called atomic athlete uh the guys that run that physical gym also do online programming and their background is that uh they were army special forces army rangers um they're now in texas but they're also backcountry mountain hunters and so like a lot of guys they were uh wondering what's the best way to train for the mountains when i'm not in the mountains and so obviously they have a training background and education and, you know, have studied fitness and have the on the ground real world application of being backcountry hunters. And so they put together a free training plan um, for us. And so they're the guys who did the programming. It's a free plan. You can basically it's like four to six weeks, depending on how you structure it. And there's also three levels to it. And so if you're like, out of shape or just getting in shape you could start with like level one and do that for like four to six weeks and then you could come back and maybe repeat it and do level two which is going to be very similar but tougher because it's scaled um and so again totally free there they do have other plans that are more in depth if you want to go check them out and buy them but what i like about this training plan is number one anybody can do it like whether you're in the mountains or not if you're a flatlander, totally relevant to you. And at the same time, it's minimal equipment. So you don't have to have a membership to a gym. You don't have to have a home gym. Uh, basically, if you have your pack and then some very basic things that they show you how to get and build, like you can go, if you have a, like a hunting pack and $25 and a trip to Home Depot, you can do everything in this training plan, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then the final box. one. That's yeah, simple yep. box is nice. Yep. And then there's the nutrition guide, which uh, Volley to Peak Nutrition is run by Kyle Camp, who's like a registered actual dietitian, um, works in a clinic. Um, and so he's put together like some guidelines for here's how to think about nutrition and fueling for extended hunts and so it's not just about you know how many calories i should bring for a day he covers that and then you can tailor it to your body weight and your uh anticipated hunt like how physical is it but then there's also things like su suggestions on 
how much ratio of carbs versus fats and all that stuff. So there's a free guide there that you can get. And then on both the training plan, the nutrition guide and the gear list on all those pages, there's also podcasts there where we talk more about those topics. Um, so anyway, it's a ton of just information that you guys can go check out. Yeah. I used the, I did the first atomic plan that they did and they did a follow up, if I remember correctly, just this last year. Um, yep. I did that first one and I felt really strong in, and I think I did like the mid level, um, spread it out over five weeks. I think I did six weeks, just a mm-hmm. little spread out. Uh, but I felt really strong and I really liked it. It was doable as a guy that's just hates working out and <laughs> needs a goal to shoot for like hunting to, to get you to work out. Um, yeah, it, that was doable. And yeah, my neighbor made fun of me cause I was dragging my tire up and down the driveway, but <laughs> I, I also, uh, kicked his butt in the mountain. So, <laughs> and he's listening, yeah, I'm sure. Say, so, um, yeah, but I would it, say too, like, even if you're not the guy who's trying to like, quote unquote, get in shape, like, again, if you're the guy coming off the couch, you can totally do this cause you can scale it. And again, start with that base, like level one. But even if you're the guy who works out year round, but you don't necessarily like train for specific hunts or train to be in the mountains. So maybe you're the gym rat and you just lift the vast majority of the time, or maybe you are the marathon guy and you just flat out run the majority of the time, you would still benefit from doing this training plan. And maybe you're able to do level two or level three out of the gate because you're more fit. But doing this type of training is going to be more valuable because it's more specific to the pursuit of a backcountry hunt than just continuing to maybe lift like you do the other 300 days of the year or only run like you do the other 300 days of the year. Yeah. Well, that's a a perfect place to end for the day on this. And, uh, um, appreciate you coming on and talk to me all about the, just these pack and this helping people with some get fit correctly so they they can prevent some of those back issues and things and um yeah appreciate you again and we've got the uh your resources we'll link all down below as well as the website and podcast and all that so we'll put that all all out there for everyone to find sounds great man we appreciate it yeah you bet this is god's country